a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Jesus does not lie. And he told me, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He told me, this is my blood shed for you. He told me, whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And I've heard the Lord's voice in the absolution, forgiven me. He's, he's told me that he, uh, that he loves the world, that he died for the world, that he shed his blood to save me and forgive me. He said it, and he doesn't lie. Those sins, which we're supposed to be conquering, have been conquered, not by our striving to overcome them, but they have been conquered by the death of Jesus. Those sins, even those pet sins that we're supposed to overcome, even the, the sins that we keep coming back to, those have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and now uh, sanctification is, is putting to death the old, the old Adam, the old flesh, by confessing our sins. I wasn't paying attention to what you just said. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading Facebook statuses. Your auditory narcotic, this is Table Talk Radio, and uh, Pastor Wolfmiller is on the groove. What are you doing over there? It's going to be one of those shows, folks. I'm just crafting the bump to my own radio show. Uh, oh, you're doing you a new, know, Hey, you're I'm doing your own radio away show from the tell, table. tell us about your new radio show. Speaking of my own... I just have the bump music for it. That's it. It's a, That's all I got. I it's, a, I it's a bump song without a radio show. I haven't worked on the show. content or the preparation. <laughs> or... Sounds about right. I could, you know, I could just actually listen to a song, but I'm thinking, this song is so good, it should have its own radio show. I'll be the host. <laughs> Today we're going to listen to this song, Good Times by Chic. In other news, we will be uh, joined again by oh, Pastor oh. Warren Graff. We've been doing a, a thing yes. with him with, about the Ten Commandments in the news. Isn't that right? We want to hear from you about this, by the way. Yeah. Because um, we're thinking about... We want feedback. We're thinking about doing a, uh, what do they call this, a spinoff. We're going to do a, a Warren Graff spinoff of Table Talk. Yeah, Radio. another spinoff. So look, we'll have the Warren Graff spinoff, and then we can have the Chic Good Times spinoff. <laughs> I wonder if those two could go together. The, um, I, I would just imagine that Warren, Pastor Graff, if he had a spinoff show, he would want, like, um, I don't know, some sort of honky-tonk music oh, for his bump. Yeah, so I see that. I don't think um, the Chic would work. Well, we already have the Brian Ketchelmeyer spinoff, don't we? Yeah, that that's was right. A, that was a Table Talk Radio And spin-off. also the Rogue Talk spinoff. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I think pretty soon here we're going to count Issues Etc. as a spinoff. I think so. so. That'll be great. Yep. Well, in yeah. uh, the other items on the agenda for today's show is uh, some preaching to Hollywood. Uh, we've got a little a listener email yes. to consider for that. And also, um, yes. oh yeah, bumper stickers and church signs. We're going to be listening to our listeners. Yep. yep. There it is. So let's start off with some buzzwords. Um, if our callers, by the way, if they could put a little, um, you, I'd like the callers when they leave a message to include a, uh, you know, a little bump in, a little music bump in for their messages. <laughs> if they could just, that'd be really yeah. good. A little, little theme music when you call song, in, if you could, better. that'd be nice. Okay, That's right. Bring your own theme music. <laughs> All right. My theological buzzword for you uh, is pragmatism. Um, pragmatism oh, is hey. the uh, philosophical uh, position that um, works. What, what, that what works is best, so that you you would establish 
the value of something based upon how functional or useful it is. Um, so that if something is impractical, then it has little or no value. But if something um, is uh, very helpful to the day-to-day, I guess, uh, then it is of high value. So um, what would be an example of this? Uh, so some, someone might think that um, uh, math is a valuable class while music class is not valuable because math is more pragmatic. So. Hey, there you go. But unless you're unless you're aspiring is, to be a table talk radio co-host, and then uh, music class would be of high value, because then you could do your own theme music. <laughs> That's probably copyrighted. You're breaking copyright law right now. My buzzword for you is <laughs> rationalism, which is the. I don't actually know what rationalism is, but I do know that last week I recorded a conversation with Dr. Schulz about it. <laughs> we were talking about Descartes. Remember Descartes, who locks himself in the in his own imagination and tries I, to break out? I think I remember And he Descartes. realizes that he is because he thinks. Yeah. I doubt I remember Descartes. You know, the famous statement he said is, I think, therefore I am. But the even more, I think, interesting one is, I doubt, therefore I am. We just recorded a conversation this week about Barclay, who was in some ways an anti-rationalist. He was what's called an empiricist. Now, when it comes to rationalism, the idea that truth uh, should be sorted out through reason versus through experience, uh, we want to remember that for the Christian, that our reason has a ministerial role, not a magisterial role. So we talk about that, um, that reason is a servant of God, and of God's text, the Scripture, that reason does not rule over the text. And so we have a ministerial view of reason when it comes to the Scripture. And one of the reasons, one of the ways that we can criticize our friends, the higher critics, is by saying that they go wrong because they have a magisterial view of reason. They put reason above the text of the Scripture. So that reason should serve the text, not try to be the master of the text. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's hit some um, preaching to Hollywood, and I've got an email to read for this one. Unless you want to read it there, Pastor Wolfmiller, you got it there. No, you got it. Okay, um, the unnamed listener says, uh, while listening to one of Table Talk Radio's podcasts, <laughs> believe it or not, I heard Pastor Brian Wolfmiller mention that he likes the band Mumford and Sons. Is that true? You like Mumford and Sons? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Says as. Uh, incredibly unimpressionable, the segment is rapidly fading from my memory. However, I believe that he said something along the lines of, they should sing a praise song, that would be awesome, or something like that. Anyway, you might like to know that you can actually find on YouTube a live audio of Mumford and Sons singing the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So, Pastor Wolfman is working on that right now, I promise you. Okay, also, uh, (laughs) am I right? Yeah, I'll be back in three minutes. <laughs> no, hey, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> uh, it says, also, vaguely remember a couple of segments of Preaching to Hollywood in which the pastors have listened to Imagine Dragons and were surprised at the, the-, the theology in the lyrics. You'll find this kind of stuff in all their songs. It might interest you to know that the lead singer, as well as the guitarist, are Mormon. It would prove... Uh, it, huh. could, it could prove enlightening to revisit the lyrics with that information in mind. Indeed. But then uh, our mysterious yeah, listener indeed. writes, 
Speaking of Imagine Dragons, I'd like to put into the Preaching to Hollywood request for their song uh, Fallen and I Bet My Life. And it says, Keep up the meteor work, your sister in Christ, because signing my name would be like actually admitting I listen to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> That's right. So We should publish a list of all the listeners, you know. <laughs> have a little... Have a little uh, kind of public shaming. <laughs> That'd work. Evangelism. That'd do the trick. Yeah, anyway. Well, I think that is interesting that uh, Imagine Dragons has a couple uh, people in the band that are Mormon and uh, might might play into the discussion. But I have, um, Pastor Wolf Mueller, some uh, Imagine Dragons here, the song uh, Fallen. And I think we can go ahead and listen to this and then uh, respond to it. So this is the song Fallen by Imagine Dragons. I suppose that gives us a pretty good start to talk about this one. So, um, so we are fallen. We are fallen. Oh, we are fallen. We are fallen. We're just gonna write it out. Every morning, I'm starting staring shadows in the eye. Oh, good morning. Will you just wait until I die? That doesn't make any sense. By the way, uh, you can get an autographed lithograph poster on this website. I'm looking at the lyrics on for only $100. Nice. And I am on the Song Meaning uh, song meaning website. Have you seen this? I've heard of it. Where people, it has the lyrics, and then people say what they think the song means. And, and then you vote to think if it's right. So one person says, it's about paranoid spies from the Soviet Union after it fell. <laughs> Another says, it's about the United States of America and how far we've fallen and that we need to tell everyone that it's too late to try and fix what we've done to the country. And then another person says, are you kidding me? He's singing about the end of the world. Dan is Mormon, and he's definitely preaching God's word. And then a, third, a fourth person says, it's the fallen angels cast out of heaven. Read the book of Enoch. <laughs> so there's a debate oh, man. on the Internet. I think, I think Table Talk Radio should right. enter a submission and see how it plays in there. Are you we kidding? Should. It's so talking about this the radio show, Table Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> We've the, fallen from the perspective of the. We're host. just going to write it out, <laughs> or the listener. <laughs> That's true, brother, sisters. The end is coming. We only hope. All right. Well, why don't we uh, take a break <laughs> to read over these lyrics, and we'll see if we can come up with something to say about it. When we get back, you're listening to Table Talk Radio. For those times when you just want to be alone, this is Table Talk Radio.
I'm reading Luther's sermons from the House Postal every week. You can find it at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on the Luther Sermon Podcast. That is the song Imagine Dragons. and um, Tell everybody, tell everybody, tell everybody, we are fallen. Oh, we are fallen, we are fallen, oh, we are fallen, we are fallen. Now we're just going to write it out. <laughs> and that, that's, gotta... that's the Mormon hope right there. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to take it, it in. Even when your fire runs out, will you start it up again? We are fallen. How about that for interesting? The fire, you know. The fire means the burning in the bosom, apparently. Hmm. I don't know what this song means, by the way. I kind of am leaning towards the Soviet spy explanation. <laughs> that's, that's your favorite so far. <laughs> I wonder if you could just get on the song meaning website and just make up the goofiest nonsense. That's what everybody's doing. That... What are you talking about? Oh, okay. <laughs> I wonder if you could just listen to song lyrics and talk about it and make up the goofiest nonsense and make that into a radio show. I mean, th- this line does make it sound like it's talking, um, talking about Table Talk Radio when it says, Tell everybody, tell everybody, brothers, sisters, the ending is coming. <laughs> Isn't I think so. Um, uh, I think that this, you know, we, when you hear the uh, when you hear the talk of the fall, um, you, you want to think theologically. I mean, about that you want to think about Genesis chapter three, and the fall into sin, and normally when we think about fall, that's the the theology that it's getting. But if that's what it is talking about, it says we're fallen, we're fallen, and then, and then what's the solution? Not that someone comes and lifts us up, but it just says, well, we're just going to ride it out, kind of see how things go. It's kind of a doctrine of despair. Mm. It is. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> there's not much to this. <laughs> Dear mysterious listener, sure to... please send us more provocative songs yeah. to French. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the doctrine of original sin is stronger in this song than it is in most praise songs. Boom, boom, boom. Ding. But I don't know what else to say. We got another one, or you want to do bumper stickers? Uh, let's do bumper stickers, because I think we got Graf itching to get on here in about yeah. uh, a few minutes. So, Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, if you have any... Uh, bumper stickers or church signs you want us to respond to, you can give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652 is the number, and here it is. Bumper sticker. Hello, Table Talk Radio. On a white door <laughs> truck with a Jesus fish, there was also a bumper sticker that said, no speed limit during the rapture. Let the mediocre commence. <laughs> All right, mediocre. So. Let the mediocre commence. Someone to hide their identity <laughs> is having their computer call in the show, or else we have robot listeners now. I think that explains think the listenership. I, I don't know. <laughs> I always figured it was a robot downloading our show, you know, inflating the numbers. Huh. Okay, so did you uh, catch the... The, <laughs> the bumper sticker said, no speed limit during the rapture. Right. Right, so I suppose um, th- you know this guy's you know flying by at eighty miles per hour on a in a sixty or something like that. Like man, I, that guy's I, driving. I, I saw fast. the greatest rapture bumper sticker the other day. Did I tell you about that? It said, um, 
Uh, in case of rapture, this striver will reconsider his amillennial views. <laughs> uh, that is probably the best one I've ever. That ever was heard. great. <laughs> I'm not sure why the rapture is like the favorite theme of Christian bumper sticker poets. Here's here's a question for you. Speaking of a theology of despair, why is uh, yeah. how is the doctrine of the rapture a theology of despair? Oh, okay, so so the evangelical assumes that the way you become a Christian is by making yourself a Christian, by making a decision. And everyone's just kind of sitting around like, um, you know, it's like you've been accepted to college and now you have to say yes. So you've been accepted into Christianity, <laughs> now you just have to, you know, sign the contract. Uh, but but uh, signing the contract means you have to give up uh, doing all your worldly stuff that you're doing, and a lot of people don't want to do that. Now, the thing that the rapture doctrine does is it says, hey— uh, well, you'll know when Jesus is coming, because seven years before he comes, all the Christians are going to be zapped on out of here. So if you want to wait, and this is the doctrine of the second chance that the rapture uh, people always will talk about. If you just want to wait, you'll you'll actually be able to see. So this, um, so the idea of the second chance means people put off repentance. Now, th- there's so many errors in that idea about what Christianity is. It's almost hard to list them. I mean, the idea that it's your own will being brought to make a decision for Christ, that repentance is your own act, uh, that, this, that, uh, um, that faith is simply to escape God's wrath and not to embrace uh, his promises and grace and so forth. But that's one of the ways that it's a picture of despair. Uh, the other is that it, um, the rapture doctrine cuts you off from understanding any of the promises of God and, uh, in the Old Testament and many in the New Testament. So the rapture folks will say, for example, that the Lord's Prayer belongs to the Old Testament people of God. Thy kingdom come refers to an earthly kingdom and so forth. And so all, almost all of God's promises are taken out of the church, the context of the Lord's people, and they're poured into the people of Israel. And so there's, you know, it's, you have like a fifth of the Bible left that you can actually read if you're a rapture-believing Christian because most of it doesn't apply to you. But it's, yeah, but, it's for the different dispensation. Well, I agree with you. They don't actually say that. Uh, well, you know, I was listening to a rapture teacher one time talk about how the Christian should not pray the Lord's Prayer because it's for the Jewish people, not for the Christian. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's dispensationalism, man. It's dangerous. It is. I heard, I heard someone say that being a dispensationalist is like putting Vaseline over your eyes when you read the Bible. That was hilarious <laughs> when they said that. <laughs> Wait a minute. Was that you? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember exactly who said that. <laughs> Heard it on the radio show. Oh, you're our listener. <laughs> I was wondering who it was. Um, <laughs> so, now, why, what, what do you think the rapture has to do with the speed limit, though? Why do you think that no speed limit during the rapture? I do have to say um, this is probably the weakest of all the rapture bumper stickers I've seen. Um, but I think it just has to do with you put it on your car, and in your car you're driving through speed limits. I don't, I don't. I think it's just a poor attempt. You know, I don't. I don't know either. I think that there's a. Or maybe it's for the guy who drives really slow. So it'd be like you're going fifty in a seventy. I think even if there was a rapture, it would not do undo God's ordering of the state. By the way, as if we should take this bumper sticker seriously. And think about it. <laughs> but you yeah, know that's... what I was thinking about the other day? Think about this, uh, dear friends. Remember Saint Paul who got thrown in fr- in prison with Silas in Philippi, and. Um, and he's there in prison, and he's singing hymns, and all the people are listening to him. And then at midnight, there's an earthquake. And this earthquake, it doesn't knock the building over or do anything else. It just makes the doors come open. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now imagine you're Paul and or Silas, and you're sitting there, and there's you're singing hymns and praying that the Lord would rescue you. And now there's an earthquake, and the door, and you're in the prison wrongly. You're in prison for casting the demon out of this girl, and you're a Roman citizen. You're not supposed to be in prison prison without a trial. All all these things would point to the fact that you should leave. I mean, here God has opened the door for you to walk through it. And this is the kind of prayer that evangelicals are always praying, Lord, open the door. And yet the Lord does it, and Paul says, nope, it's not for the earthquake to let us out of prison. It's for the jailer to let us out of prison. So they stay in prison with the both of Paul and Silas and all the people who are listening to them sing hymns apparently don't want to leave either. So that when the jailer wakes up, sees the door open, he's going to kill himself because all these guys obviously would have escaped. And they say, hey, wait, wait, we're still here. What? I mean, can you imagine being even have the, having the slightest tinge of mysticism to, to look to, uh, to your circumstances for leading from God? You know, should I do this or should I do that? Everything in the circumstance was pointing to leave the jail. But Paul refuses to do it. He, he refuses to, to try to listen to the secret voice of God in the signs and things around him. But instead, he trusts that God's ordering of the world is good and says it's for the jailer to let me out. That is amazing. Are you trying to say that Paul wasn't a mystic? I'm trying. You know, Paul was so anti-mystic that he that he was going to Jerusalem at the end of the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit makes like six people come and prophesy, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die, and, and, and try to stop him from doing it. And he says, well, I'll take your prophecy into advisement. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't follow the visions of these prophets or their dreams. He just he, he in other words, he do you see that? He says, I, I know my I know my office. I know God's word. I'll go to Jerusalem and die if I need to. That's astonishing. Indeed. Well, let's go to one more before we have to go to a break. Here is the next um, bumper sticker. Where did I put that? It's around here somewhere. Did I found it? it. That doesn't matter if you found it. OK, here, here it is. <laughs> hello, I'm calling to report a bumper sticker. Um, it says, if 10% is enough for God, it's enough for the IRS. Hmm. <laughs> All right, 10% is enough for God, it should be enough for the IRS. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think here's a, a good opportunity to talk about the distinctions of the two kingdoms um, and, and how the state works with coercion and the church does not. Because in the Old Testament, you know, the people had to give a tithe, 10% of all their first fruits, and they had to give a double tithe. So it was probably in the Old Testament, it was 20%. That went for the both the life of the government and the life of the um, of the temple. Uh, in the, in the church in the New Testament, there's no there's no requirement uh, for the percentage. Uh, although ten, you know ten percent's fine to to as a goal or as a start or whatever you want to think of it. But that the Lord in the church uh, talks about giving joyfully. Um, there's no requirement that you give to the IRS joyfully. <laughs> I mean that's why the IRS has a sword. Has a jail, and but stuff. you can they give can to the IRS you. joyfully. I suppose you can. I mean, you're you. I mean, is the worker do his wages? Um, I mean, when you're paying your taxes, you're you're paying the wage for the fireman who puts out the fire when your house is on fire. The point of that is, it's not a matter of free choice when it comes to the IRS. Now, if, is this thing true? If ten percent is enough for God, it's enough for the government. I do. If anyone was wondering, I like the idea of a flat tax. Uh, that uh, it's just one percent, and I mean a certain percentage, and everybody pays it the same. Yeah, I think Bernie uh, Sanders is advocating for that, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. All right, we need to go to a break, and we'll be back with Pastor Graf right after this. 
is that familiar melody, simple and true. Hamlet, if you've earned a dollar or two, bucks are being spent by the government for whatever they do. Anyone who earns a living gives more than a few. So no heretics were harmed in the making of this show. Well, physically harmed. Hey, daily devotions for your family. Around the Word is found at whatdoesthismean.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are doing a regular segment here. I think this is... Um this round two, so this is a regular thing here on Table Talk Radio. This is, yeah, that's right. We've done it twice. That makes it a regular feature. Yeah. This is, by the way, the classy and informed half of our show. <laughs> that's right. We have on the line uh, Pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Warren Graff. Welcome back, Pastor Graff. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to be with you. Well, we one of the things we're doing with you is uh, looking at what's going on in the news, and we want to see the world around us in light of God's Word, the institutions He's established, and the Ten Commandments He's given us. And uh, one of the big things that we are bombarded with every day of the news at this time of year is the uh, the elections coming up. We have the primaries going on, and uh, both Democratic and Republican uh, nominees are, are, are trying to get the bid. And um, one, one kind of story of interest that came out was during the uh, debate on Fox News— a question was asked about uh, Donald Trump's record and his uh, companies uh, declaring bankruptcy. Here's a little bit of audio from that debate. <laughs> Mr. Trump, you talk a lot about how you are the person on this stage to grow the economy. I want to ask you about your business record. Trump corporations, Trump corporations, casinos and hotels have declared bankruptcy four times over the last quarter century. In 2011, you told Forbes magazine this, I've used the laws of the country to my advantage. But at the same time, financial experts involved in those bankruptcies say that lenders to your companies lost billions of dollars. Question, sir, with that record, why should we trust you to run the nation's business? Because I have used the laws of this country, just like the greatest people that you read about every day in business have used the laws of this country, the chapter laws, to do a great job for my company, for myself, for my employees, for my family, etc. I have never gone bankrupt, by the way. I have never. But out of no, hundreds but, no, of but deals, but sir, excuse me, that's excuse your line, me. but the, your companies have me. gone bankrupt. Out of what am I saying? Out of hundreds of deals that I've done, hundreds, on four occasions, I've taken advantage of the laws of this country, like other people. I'm not going to name their names because I'm not going to embarrass, but virtually every person that you read about on the front page of the business sections, they've used the law. The difference is when somebody else uses those laws, nobody writes about it. When I use it, they say, oh, Trump, Trump, Trump. The fact is, I built a net worth of more than $10 billion. I have a great, great company. I employ thousands of people, and I'm very proud of the job I did. Again, Chris. Okay, so the, the timer went off. Boy, I'm, I'm glad the uh, I'm glad the bell rang. <laughs> that could have gone on for a while. Right. Well, so here his argument is basically um, I I use the laws that are available to me as a as a American business person, and I use them to my advantage to get a financial gain. How would you react to that, Pastor? 
Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? And I'm sure he's probably right. I'm sure with his lawyers and accountants, um, you know, that the laws the laws were uh, followed in a way that he's not in jeopardy, in any legal jeopardy. But for the Christian to look at this, so we have a man here who, as a business decision, can regularly go and declare bankruptcy. And uh, I think the interviewer there, Chris Wallace, I believe it was, said that you're your creditors um, lost billions of dollars. And so starting there, we can just figure who are the people who lost this money. Now, elsewhere, uh, Trump says they were bad, bad people, uh, trying to draw a uh, straw man of some sort of, you know, ghoulish banker. And yet these were the people that Trump willingly went into business with, taking a loan from them or an investment from them. And you can also figure that it wasn't just someone there on Wall Street. It was someone there on Wall Street who does the service of investing funds for people like me, let's say, even though I don't have any great money, but part of my um, retirement savings goes into mutual funds. Part of those mutual funds, I suppose, go into some of these banks. How much money did I lose? Did my family have taken from them because of someone using as Trump says, the, the laws of this land, or the bankruptcy laws, to back out of a contract that they had freely made. Now, when we look at what's going on here, just think of in the commandments where it says that, you know, for instance, you shall not steal. Commandment 7, which sets up private property, and it also includes things of wealth and, uh, and, and investments and all of that. But the seventh commandment of you shall not steal, which sets up this institution of private property, isn't standing there on its own. It comes after the fourth commandment, which sets up the family, the institution of the family, honor your father and your mother. The reason that's important is we don't have private property because somehow private property is a really neat thing to have in the economy. We have private property because... It is necessary for the institution of the family, and it serves the institution of the family. And it does it in this way. Even in, in more primitive times, a man is not going to go and plant corn on 10 acres if that corn doesn't belong to him at the end of the year, if anyone can just come in and steal it as they so choose. So we need to be able to tell the man that the property belongs to him or that he's leasing it from the person it belongs to. In other words, it's private. I can't walk on it without permission. I can't steal the corn. That lets the man then go and invest his time, wake up early in the morning to, to plow the fields and to, to sow the corn and to make the irrigation. If we don't have that, then the man can't go and put the investment in if he, if he doesn't know that it will help feed his family which means that the families will all just be turned into foraging migrant families or something of that order. So when we have the institution of family, private property is an institution that follows so that when you have someone like Donald Trump who says that he will use bankruptcy laws to back out of contracts that he has freely made with other people, that is a theft because why, would, why do we have bankruptcy laws? for the same reason we have private property, to protect a man and his family. So that even if a man, let's say, has five bad years of uh, flooding in the fields and has no food, and he has to declare bankruptcy, 
there is a social good to that declaration of bankruptcy. It's not good for him to declare bankruptcy. No one is rejoicing in that. But there's a social good to it in the sense that we don't want this man waking up every day under a huge burden of debt, unable, therefore, to get more loans of, of new corn seed or whatever the, the business is in order to take care of his family. We want him to have an unencumbered enough life around him that he can actually provide for his family. So we provide bankruptcy laws. There's a cost to them. It gives a man bad credit or, or a bad name for some time, but it does allow him to get, under, to get out from under debt that otherwise would not allow him to take care of his family. So the bankruptcy laws in and of themselves have a social good behind their purpose. But now for someone to come along, as Trump, I guess, is admitting that he did, and he used the bankruptcy laws not to get out of debt that would have encumbered him in such a way he couldn't provide for his family, but rather as a business decision of taking advantage of someone with whom he had freely made a contract, and he doesn't want to keep his part of the contract, even though they have already kept their part, in other words, by coming up with the investment money. For him to use the bankruptcy laws in that way is for him to do great damage to the institution of private property and therefore to the institution of family, the commandment, honor your father and your mother. We, last, uh, last week we talked about Bernie Sanders and providing free college, and there was a similar sort of disconnect. It was... Um, it was the understanding that uh, education belonged to the family, not to the state. Um, but but socialism mm-hmm. will will break that tie between the seventh commandment and the fourth commandment. But I, I don't think Donald Trump is breaking that tie between the two commandments because he's a socialist. So what's what is it in his in his thinking or in his doctrine or ideology that's driving the two commandments apart? Well, I'm not sure that he's not a socialist. If you go by his economic policy, certainly he is a socialist. Um, I know he would never call himself one the way that Bernie Sanders freely calls himself one. But um, he, Donald Trump was in favor of socialized medicine, even for what was back then called the single-payer system. And even now, he says he's against Obamacare, and yet he is for the individual mandate. Now, he has said that in the, in the most recent debate. Maybe not the most recent, maybe the, the one prior to that. But he is for the individual mandate. Well, the individual mandate is the heart of Obamacare. If you can't coerce someone into buying a product which they wouldn't buy if they were, if they were treated as free citizens, then that would be the understanding of, um, of socialized medicine. In other words, socialism is nothing other than uh, the collectivist or the governmental control of the uh, the means of production. That that's that would be the the economic definition of what socialism is. That the means of production, which are land, labor, and capital, are owned or controlled by the collective or by the government. Well, if if Donald Trump is as he says in favor of the individual mandate, then that strikes right at a person's wealth, that, that the government can enter in to the wealth that a person in the family has, has worked to accrue 
and the government can make a demand, a coercive demand on that wealth. We'll call it the individual mandate. I suppose that sounds friendlier. But that's socialism at its very core. So when you look at things like his desire to have socialized medicine, uh, also his desire, and maybe we can talk about this at a later, uh, a later time because it's a whole uh, subject of its own, but his desire to have eminent domain used not for social goods of, of like roads and schools, but in order to enrich the, uh, the, the, uh, the private investors. That, that's where someone who, say, wants to build a, a hotel or a casino, and yet they can't buy the piece of property that they want because you have you know, some old, old grumpy uh, Aunt Martha who will not sell her family farm. And so how do you get her to sell it? You use eminent domain, which would be the government then confiscating it from her, then giving her a price that they determine is the fair market value. And then the land can be sold by the government to the private investor. In that case, it was Donald Trump who wanted to use it uh, to, to confiscate some land that way. Well, again, um, his, his support or his promotion of using eminent domain for, for private gain is the heart of socialism. We need to take a break right there. We Don't worry, though. We twisted Pastor Graf's arm to stay on for an extra segment here on Table Talk Radio, and we'll do that right after this break. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> no, that's just silly. I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at worldvieweverlasting.com. Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God throughout the world. Back to the in-depth radio show, Table Talk Radio. Uh, we just got done talking. Digging into politics. <laughs> That's the right. The news, the Ten Commandments, the I'll, the primal. That word is in my mind now. Primal. The primal structure of the the world. That's right. Well, I, I'm interested because we just got done listening to um, Donald Trump defend why he can use the Chapter 17 laws of of bankruptcy. For his advantage, and I've noticed, um, Pastor Graf, that that um, this is sort of a uh, a persona that Donald Trump has put forward in his campaign, and otherwise, that he says, "Look, I'm I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to take control." And um, it's almost a, a a tactic of intimidation that you will go along with what I have to say, and I am here to get things done, as seen by. My job of getting ahead financially, even if I have to use the laws of bankruptcy to do it. What's your thought on that? Well, yeah, um, I, I guess I would start by you know some in the press, some people have uh, tagged Trump as being fascist. If you look at some of the liberal press, Salon.com, and some of that, 
and and that's one of those terms we have to be careful with because they will tag anyone with being fascist. Uh, over the last you know a couple election cycles, there have been five or six or seven uh, senatorial candidates that were tagged with being fascist. Um, Ronald Reagan was a fascist, according to them, etc. Uh, but in the in the case of Trump, uh, it, it may be worth thinking about for a moment in, in this way. What fascism is, is really nothing other than um, the Italian way of saying socialism. Fascism is this idea of of um, things bound together in, in, in one thing, uh, in, in a collective. So that Mussolini, who was a fascist, obviously, uh, of, of Italy in World War II, was also head of the Italian Socialist Party. But it wasn't that he was also head of it. That's what made him a fascist. In other words, fascism and socialism are the same ideological thought of, of everything belongs to the collective. Now, with that, though, the thing that you must have with fascism or socialism is you must have the leader, the Fuhrer. And this is where we can see a difference in American, the language we are used to in America, where at least used to, you would think of a government authority figure as a servant. He's in an office, so he's not ruling by the law of man, but he's but he's ruling by the rule of law. So in the case of someone who is a socialist or a collectivist, what you have is this idea that the collective is what is right always, but the collective must be personified or made known through a leader, through a Fuhrer. But that leader or Fuhrer must be followed, and he must show strength. And that's where you use the word, um, I think, earlier, uh, a bullying tactic or intimidation. And that is what we see where you don't see a politician, I'll say in the case of Trump, who is saying, I'm, I would like to place my name forward for president. I would like to be a humble servant. I would like to serve in the office of president so that I could be the one who makes sure that the constitutional laws are followed and, and discharged. Rather, you see someone who is saying, if you're in my way, I will call you, uh, what is it, either I will call you low energy, I will call you an idiot, I will call you uh, a small man, I will call you a liar. I don't remember all the other names he calls people. But it is this idea of you have a Fuhrer who is on his way, he's the progressive one, he's the one who's progressing, and anyone who's in his way and is stopping him from being progressive is going to be pushed over. And that should, that should cause us concern, I would think. I think so. Uh, what, um, connect, if you could, uh, Pastor Graff, that to the Ten Commandments. In, in other words, um, that's more than just a Seventh Commandment issue. Uh, that's a breakdown, I suppose, of the Fourth Commandment. Yes. Um, it, it would be, I think you could say, a breakdown of all of them. I mean, certainly you could see in the commandments about the way that we take care of our neighbor and we don't dishonor his name, but we speak well of him. (laughs) There's there's a commandment that could help us in our current presidential season, maybe, (laughs) that that, uh, you you speak well of your neighbor and you put the the kindest construction on everything. Um, but, But I think it's right to take it to the Fourth Commandment, because what the Fourth Commandment does, 
by setting up this institution of the family, which includes everything then that serves the family, including, as I mentioned before, uh, private property or, or the ability to earn and accumulate wealth for a family and all of that. Um, what, what you have is from the family then comes the authority of the government, and that's the way Luther puts it when he's explaining the Fourth Commandment in the large catechism, that all the authority of the teachers, of the governing officials, of the police officers, it all originates and flows from the family. So the reason a police officer will pull me over when I'm speeding through a subdivision should not be because he likes pulling me over and likes giving me a ticket, but he has a sense that as an officer of the law, he is going to keep these families safe, and that includes stopping stopping me from speeding through the neighborhood in a way that can harm someone. In the case of what we're talking about with political rhetoric, then we should be able to listen to a man or a woman and get a sense, get, a, get some sort of clarity of do they see themselves as a leader who must be followed? And if they're not followed, they will employ, what, ad hominem attacks, uh, intimidation, bullying? Or do they see themselves as a fellow citizen who wants to put themselves forward as someone who can serve well in protecting the families around them? And in that case, the language would be they could serve well in making sure the rule of law is upheld and that the institutions of, of what, the marriage of man and woman, of mother and father, family, uh, house and home, business and all that, are making sure those institutions are upheld. Does the uh, intimidation approach have an appeal? I mean, I, I would think it would be repulsive, but we're seeing uh, Donald Trump lead in the polls. He, he certainly um, had a good day, Super Tuesday. So how do you explain that? Yeah, the intimidation approach can have a profound appeal. Uh, and it, uh, I, I think it comes, it, well, it can be explained in a couple ways, but, but one way that the intimidation approach is, you might say, almost comforting to people, and I don't mean this in a good way, but that, that it can be almost comforting to them, is it gives them a sense of safety if they're on the same side. So if I'm on Donald Trump's side and I hear him attacking, first of all, he can help help me by defining who my enemies are. Now, I don't mean help in a good way, not in a healthy way, but, but he can help me by defining my enemies for me. And then he makes me feel safe by making sure that I know that as long as I'm with him, my enemies will not, will not be of a concern to me. They will be taken care of. Now, that's not something new to Trump. I mean, that's always, in a way, that's true throughout all of our political seasons, where you'll have politicians who are defining who the enemy is and then telling you how they're going to take care of them. Uh, it's just that I think you can say Donald Trump is quite good at it. And I think that's part of the reason that if you ask someone, what are Donald Trump's, let's say, tax policies? Is he for a flat tax? Is he for a VAT tax? Is he for higher corporate income tax, lower corporate? Um, what, what are his policies about the, the Federal Reserve? What are, if you ask someone that, they have no idea. I don't have any idea because I've heard him say both on flat tax. Um, or at least I think I have, if memory serves. I've heard him say both on corporate tax rates. But none of that matters because he's making me feel safe because he's he can define the enemy 
and he can let me have the message that if I'm with him, I'm safe. That's not a good way to look at life. We have just just about a minute here, Pastor. Ah, so we shouldn't even change it. We'll save this one. Students told to write essay on their conversion to Islam. How about we'll save that for next week and keep talking about (laughs) Trump? What do you think Trump would think about this article about uh, students writing essays about Islam? <laughs> well, my, my guess is he would not take it to a constitutional argument of, um, of is this a good thing under the rule of law. My guess is he would take it to something of uh, we need to start vetting these people before they come into our country. In other words, make it not about understanding what rights are and understanding what it means to be a free person, to be a free citizen, but rather make it, who do we need to stop? And that, that is two different ways of trying to address the same problem, perhaps. Well, that's going to be all the time we have for this edition of Table Talk Radio. But Pastor Graff, thanks for coming on. And we want to hear what you think about these segments we're doing with Pastor Graff. Just give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, 1-800-385-7652. And Or you can send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.